0: Welcome to Mending Fences, a podcast about effective ways to communicate and live with differences. I'm Patrice Bremner
1: and I'm Jen Hawthorne. We're both family law mediators and collaborative law attorneys, but our conversations go well beyond family law. We explore the personal, interpersonal, legal, and cultural impacts of conflict. Hi, and welcome back to Mending Fences. I'm Jen Hawthorne-Kelsey, and as always, I'm joined today by Patrice Brimner. Hi, Patrice. Hi Hi, Jen. Hi. And we also have a special guest, Danielle Ozeri. Patrice is going to tell us a little bit about Danielle before we get started.
0: Yeah, Jen and I are really excited to talk with Danielle today. Danielle is a divorce and family mediator based in Cambridge, Massachusetts, but she does provide mediation services virtually and can do some travel to meet with her clients, which I find really interesting. And that's something at some point we'll want to hear more about. But today, Jen and I are really interested in talking with Danielle about her family mediation. We've talked a lot on this podcast about divorce mediation and some about community mediation and dispute resolution just a little bit, but we're really interested in hearing about Danielle's family mediation experiences and just learning more about what that looks like and how people can use this process as families. Hi, Danielle.
2: Hi. (laughs) Thanks for having me on your podcast. We are really
0: excited to have you here. So with that as background, I'm not sure where you want to start, but we can jump in about family mediation in any way that
2: that works for you. Okay, great. Thank you so much. And before we jump in, I did want to sort of reflect on something that I was thinking about as I was preparing for this podcast, which is that I've never done a podcast before, I've never been on a podcast, so thanks for having me as, you know, this I will always remember this time. I think something that is going on for me is I was a little bit nervous in preparation because I've never done it before and It's been a while. since I've done something for the first time. So Mm. it really got me thinking about how when our clients come to us, they're coming to do something they've never done before and how nervous they must feel. Mm. And I have a lot of appreciation for what it takes for people to show up. And so, yeah, I just wanted to kind of put it out there that that nervous feeling that I have, I can see how others might feel it as well. And so it takes a lot yeah. of courage for parties to show up to something they don't know what it's going to look like. They don't know what it might feel like. And I uh, have a lot of compassion and empathy for that. Yeah, that's yeah, a good I point.
1: Think, I think that's something we probably all see. And it's good to be mindful of it. And so I really appreciate you bringing this up this morning and calling our attention to it because it is true, right? So many clients will say something like, Well, I've never done this before. You tell me what to expect. And at the end of a first meeting, sometimes you can see relief once they've at least experienced one mediation and they understand what it's going to be like. And I think that's probably exactly what they're all feeling. In addition to the fact that usually when folks are coming to any of us for any type of mediation, it's because there's some crisis going on in their lives. And so they already have that heightened emotional state. And then they're also trying something new to try to resolve it, which is, it is nerve wracking and it is scary.
2: Yeah. Well, I'm going to put that aside and focus <laughs> on our conversation. <laughs> yeah. So I think, like you mentioned, I'm a divorce and family mediator, and I uh, have my own practice, GNG mediation. And so part of it is for divorcing and separating couples and for co parenting matters, which I think we all talk about and know a lot about the benefits of mediation, what the process looks like. Their goals are very clear for that sort of mediation. And you know i've decided to also have family mediation as part of my practice because i have seen how having a mediation for interpersonal conflicts between family members could be incredibly beneficial i've seen that i think it stems from my work in the juvenile courts in cambridge where i see how a parent and a, cha- a parent and a child having a facilitated conversation with a with a mediator could be just incredibly beneficial for their relationship and for them understanding each other better. And so that's really why I uh, decided to have that family piece as part of my practice. The sorts of clients who show up to my, for a family mediation, they, most of the time it is either parents who are having difficulties with a child. So it could be an adult child who, like an adult daughter, for example, who's no longer speaking to her mother. And the parent reaches out to sort of see what can be done in that regard. And it also could look like siblings reaching out. So I've worked with adult siblings who have an ongoing conflict and they just can't figure out what's going on. It can't move forward. And so they reach out. They Maybe they've tried other things. They've tried therapy. They've tried different things and hasn't created any movement for them. So they reach out for mediation. And I've just really enjoyed working with these clients sometimes you know the process the process looks different for each case but sometimes it's helpful for parties to have kind of mini agreements as they move through the process and sometimes they'll just be sort of verbal agreements and check-ins and so in that regard it does look a little differently different than other mediations
0: yeah so Um, you If I can kind of jump in. So, I I mean, as you said, and I want to just for listeners slow this part down a bit, because I think it's such a good point that in a divorce mediation, there is one big overarching goal, and that is to work through conversations around everything that you'd need to discuss and formalize in order to get divorced. So, the divorce is sort of the end product of that. And with family mediation, what I'm hearing is that there might not be Discrete things, you know, a discrete dispute. Like, I so I'm imagining, and you tell me, like, with adult siblings, maybe it's something around their parents, the care of their parents if they're elderly, or the parents' estate or something, or some property. And so maybe there is a discrete thing that they're trying to resolve, like in terms of a dispute, mm-hmm. but maybe not. Like the example you mm-hmm. gave of a parent with an adult child, and they're just trying to like reestablish contact. So those feel like really different kinds of goals. And I guess I'm curious about like, do people spend time at the beginning of the process sort of defining the
2: goal? Is it helpful to do that? Yeah, great question. So yeah, and, and to speak for a moment about the distinguishing between having a specific goal and perhaps not. Oftentimes people come to me with a specific with a specific goal. And but because People are related, going to see each other again. They're in relationship with each other for many, many years, God willing. Healthy, health, healthy, successful lives, right? The interpersonal piece, the relational piece is just as important as that, as that specific goal. So basically, I just utilize tools that as mediators, we practice all the time. Identifying the underlying interests. Why is this person really coming to me? What's really underlying what they're saying? What's important for them? And how can I help them achieve that? So, of course, someone says to you, this is what I want, but we discover pretty quickly that there is other things underlying that, that um, you cannot resolve or achieve that one goal without answering to those underlying things as well. So in the family mediations, especially, I do see that the relational piece is very important and you can't talk about the money or the estate or whatever it is boundaries in the relationship without working on the interpersonal piece as well and you know when I think about success in a mediation of course it looks different for every case but one thing that I've that I noticed that happened to a recent client of mine is I invited um, the parties to show up to a meeting with me and They took a couple of days to get back to me and they said, you know, actually, we decided to meet on our own. And to me, that feels like, okay, I've gotten them to a place where they feel comfortable enough and able enough to have this conversation on their own. To me, that's a sign of success. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And I think maybe like we've all said this at some point in our lives we'd be most successful if we were out of jobs, like in a sense that people could just resolve their own conflicts and take ownership over things on their own. But when a party says to me, like, I think we're going to try to do this on my own, I'm like, yes, like snaps to that. So yes. yeah, that's something that I've noticed. Um, yeah. yeah, I'm not sure even how to word this question.
1: So it's okay if you're not sure exactly how to answer it. But what I imagine listeners are thinking is how is family mediation
2: different from family counseling? Yeah. <laughs> Very good question. <laughs> Yeah, this is this is a question that I'm in conversation with therapists about. So I don't have a good answer for you, but I am thinking about this because I am not a therapist, I'm not a counselor and I think what one of the one of the sort of easier responses to that in my mind is, well, I hel- I help them come up with agreements as they go along. So they'll try out something until the next session. Not saying that therapists don't do that or counselors don't do that, but you know i utilize what i know as a facilitator of a process to help people arrive at some kind of intermediate agreement that they could try until the next session and see if you know how that worked out so that is something that i that i think could be different but i think that that is a topic that is very ripe for more exploration and my partner who's studying to be a clinical psychologist we talk about it all the time about the differences so that's definitely ripe conversation to have yeah, yeah. i it's, love it's, that that
0: conversation like this is it's such an interesting yeah. cuz i i think therapists can be really effective facilitators i think attorneys can be really effective facilitators if they if they're trained that way and want to do that and apply themselves that way you're and correct me, you're not an attorney or a therapist you're a mediator. So you, you sit, you're sitting in that place where you're just, you're a facilitator. And that was the word that I was in my mind as you were talking. And then you finally said it like that's your job as the facilitation without the other considerations necessarily. And maybe I'm being unfair to therapists and lawyers, but there's something I think really, you know, I think as an attorney who worked as a litigator before I became a mediator, I'm always looking for how do I become a better facilitator? And I don't know, Jen, where you sit on that. This is a conversation we have had before on the podcast about, I want to know where facilitator school is because I want to go to facilitator school.
1: Yeah. I think for me, just the way, and I've talked about this, my history on this podcast before, but the way I came into to practicing this work, I think for me, the larger paradigm shift actually happens when I am in a real advocacy role for someone, like outside of any out-of-court process. If I find myself in court, I feel like that's where my paradigm shift has to come in because my natural inclination is to be more of a facilitator and to really be focused on the problem-solving and the conflict resolution. But this is, this is what I was going to say a couple minutes ago, There's an ongoing conversation at, I'm on the board and the membership chair of the APFM, which is the Academy of Professional Family Mediators. And historically, that organization has also been very focused on building out professional development and things like that for divorce mediators. That's where the focus has been. And then we brought in prenuptial mediation and sort of the beginning of a marriage, And most recently, we've started a special interest group that is having these exact conversations, but instead of around families at large, they're calling the special interest group couples mediation right now. And the conversation that I've had with someone there really mirrors this conversation in terms of how does it differ from therapy? And I think that is an ongoing conversation, but the place that you landed, Danielle, in your answer is almost exactly the same place that larger group is landing that therapy explores the big picture and finds like the root of the issues and mediation is a place to get those practical solutions mm-hmm. and to really work through okay now we we know this is a problem we've identified it we know we want better communication we know we need managing a household like better better processes And then you can come to mediation and work through, okay, here are, here are those practical steps that can maybe actually create a better working relationship with each other to continue the larger relationship.
0: And do you find, I'm
1: sorry, Patrice. And and I'm
0: just curious, like, do you find, Danielle, that people, I just, I'm wondering, like, are there folks out there who are more comfortable? I can imagine that some folks would be more comfortable coming to a mediator than a therapist. Because it's like, yeah. the, there's a different, there's, and I'm sorry to say, but I think there are, are stigmas that people might attach to the idea of needing mental health care, whether that's mm-hmm. really what it is or not. But with a mediator, you wouldn't have that.
2: Yeah. Well, I, I think that's absolutely true for some people. I also think a lot of the people that I meet with, whether they are in the family or a divorce mediation, they also have therapists sometimes. So I think that just like we think of, or just I'll speak for myself, just as I think of my divorcing couples as having a team of people who are helping them, the financial advisors, an attorney on hand, a mediator, et cetera, or a parenting coach or whatever they need. I think that people who come for a family mediation, they have the similar sort of support system, which could include teachers, other siblings. A therapist, so I think that I see, I definitely see people from both camps. I think that mediation, having a mediator on your side, is a complementary thing to a therapist. It's not like you should have one or the other. But yeah, I definitely think that. I mean, I I think therapy is incredibly valuable, and mediation by no means takes that place. But the conversation between the two, I think, is really interesting, and uh, we should. We should continue to to think and talk about it. I'm happy to hear that other people are <laughs> thinking about it as well. Yeah. Yeah. And one thing I wanted to share about the process of family mediation, which to me is a little different than the way I think about my separating couples, is I um, when I first meet with the family mediation clients, I will have a pretty extensive intake with them, like a pre, pre-meeting conversation separately. And in that conversation, sometimes I'm already starting to sort of do a little bit of conflict coaching almost. So I will already start to bring up some things for them that I'm noticing that they are saying in a certain way that I I might encourage them to start already thinking, how might the other person respond if you use this word or this tone and start kind of exploring that with them in the beginning. I do know some mediators do that with their separating couples as well, having those pre-conversations and like really preparing them for for the joint session. But especially with the family mediation clients where I know they're going to have an ongoing relationship or really the relationship is one of the biggest pieces there that I really try to already start to coach them in the beginning and help them really prepare for that joint session. Yeah. I don't
1: do that as a matter of practice, but hearing you explain it that way as conflict coaching honestly just made me pause and think would that be helpful? So I often speak to both people in the separating couple separately because of the way we've structured our consultations and I explain that at any point in the process if they need to talk to me separately or if I think it would be helpful, to talk to them separately. And one of the examples that I give is if they're speaking to each other in such a manner that it makes it hard to keep the conversation going because it's, it feels familiar and off-putting and all of that. But the idea of actually just confronting that, like that, that reality, that that likely is going to happen at some point in the process in a different way by saying, okay, and how would you handle it? I think that's a really smart idea.
0: Yeah, I love the idea of kind of building in conflict coaching in that way, so that people are mm-hmm. feeling supported from the very from the very first meeting, and and feeling like I mean, it just as you were describing it, I was thinking if I was a participant, I would start to feel there are a lot of possibilities.
2: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and also in thinking of like, if I was a party to this, I would like to have that mm-hmm. pre-conversation. And that's not something I always offered. But I think as I've been growing in my experience, I've noticed that that really makes a difference having that pre-conversation. And like I said, like thinking of it as like a little bit of coaching has mm-hmm. also been helpful to yeah. me. Because I'm like, okay, it yeah. gives me the kind of, it opens things up for me to be able to say, I can actually do a little bit of coaching and allow myself to do that. Yeah. Yeah, I like that.
0: So I think we're just about out of time, I'm I'm afraid, and we will want to have you come back. I know that we have probably a lot lot more questions about family mediation, but I'm wondering, Danielle, if there's anything else you'd want to add for our listeners to know in a general way about family mediation as we wrap up this this talk.
2: Yeah, I think... Something that's important to me in the family mediation is that it gives everyone an opportunity to have a voice. And especially in like a parent-child relationship, I feel like oftentimes I get like a parent who's very upset. And when they are able to not only express themselves fully, but hear their child express themselves fully, not being interrupted... I think that is an incredibly powerful dynamic and I'm not a parent so I'm not aware of the complexities of parenting but I do see how that sort of raising up everyone's voices and giving everyone an opportunity to express themselves is really powerful in the parent child uh, relationship. Yeah.
0: That's it. That's it in a nutshell is being everybody being heard and everybody having a chance to really listen. Yeah. So yeah. As we say here at Mending Fences, we'll keep, we'll talking. keep talking. Thank yep. you so much. So, Danielle, how can people
2: find you? What is do you have a web address that you can share? I do. Dngmediation.com. And you can we'll feel put free that in the, the Email show notes. me yeah. info.
0: Okay. So I'm sorry, um, I, I interrupted What's Yeah, the email? and
2: I, email is info at dngmediation.com. And I would love to connect, even if it's just to chat. And I'm also always looking for co-mediators. So I think that's it's one of the best ways for me to keep learning and growing as a mediator. So if anyone's interested in co-mediating, I would love that. And yeah, that's a great way to reach me through info at dngmediation.com. Great. Well, thanks perfect, so much Daniel. for coming. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You bet.
0: Bye.